Good morning, everyone. Start out with an apology, my apology to her. Last week, I, I spent so many hours diligently typing up the little notes I was hoping to hit on, and I got to looking, and I didn't hit one of them. We didn't notice. <laughs> so this week, I am going to try to stick to it. But last week, um, it just it, it, the spirit just led me in a different direction, and. Um, I'm thankful for that when it happens. I don't do it often, uh, but I was thankful I did it last week, and I'm more thankful that I did that than I'm sorrowful that I didn't hit the wonderful three points that I studied so diligently last week for. Uh, this week we're going to look at Psalm chapter 3, and uh, we'll pray, and then we'll look at a couple other texts and, and launch into it. Lord Jesus, again, this Sunday we're so grateful that we have this place to come and worship you. Lord, there's a lot of things going on in this world, and uh, for this hour here, we ask you to just set our minds at, at, at ease, Lord, knowing that you are in, in control, fully in control. <laughs> Guide us as we uh, look at your word today, uh, and Lord, as, as Susan's going through this medical thing, that, uh, that you guide her to and give her comfort and peace. Uh, it's going to be an uncomfortable couple weeks for her, Lord, and she just needs your spirit pressing in on her and reminding her that you are in control of it as well. <coughs> Lord, be with us now as we look at your word. It's in your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. When I look at the Psalms, um, I, I take great solace. I tell you that whenever I preach through them. I take great solace in the fact that, that the psalmists are men just like we are, men and women just like we are. Um, sometimes when I read the Psalms like this one today, I think, how in the world did David, the author of this particular psalm, Psalm 3, how, how, did, he, how did he do that? How did he put down in words uh, his emotion and his, his feelings and his thoughts and, and to be so raw and out there with them? And I, I take great joy in it because, as I say often, I'm in the same boat as David. I have the same pressures as David. And when David wrote this particular psalm, Psalm 3, he didn't write it 20 years back, looking back, saying... You know that experience I had with that, that crazy son of mine, Absalom? I, I need to write something about that. He wrote Psalm 3 when he was going through that battle with his own son. And, uh, and, and the experiences that he was experiencing, can you imagine your own son turning against you? You're the king. And you have a son that says, you know, my dad's pretty cool. But I think I'm a better king than he would, would be. I think I'm going to take over this kingdom. David, God's anointed man, I think I can do a better job. How, how do you feel about that? You know, David, how do you feel that your own son, your own flesh and blood is scheming to take your job? In your notes, you'll see that I have a, a note, something about 2 Samuel uh, 15 through 18. Uh, I am absolutely not going to go through 15 and through 18 today. But I really do want you, during this week, read, I don't give you many reading assignments, but read chapter 2 Samuel 15 through 2 Samuel 18. And you'll see what David was up against. And the, I'll hit a few points here. The, the, the pressure coming from his own family turning against him. His own kingdom being destroyed, his own uh, followers turning against him, his own counselor turning against him. 
And in the midst of that, and we'll get it to a second, is, is Psalm 3. But some bullet points in 2 Samuel chapter 15. Now it came about after that, the Absalom, uh, David's son, provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before him. The plot is starting. In a manner that Absalom dealt with all of Israel who came to the king for judgment, so that all of Jerusalem or all of Israel was coming to the gates of the temple where David was sitting, and they were coming in for the king to pass judgment on things, to give them give the, the people counsel. And Absalom's in this manner, he dealt with all of Israel. He came for the king to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. Absalom now is plotting. To steal away the hearts of the people. He thinks he can do a better job than dad. Verse 10. But Absalom, he sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel. David's son, sending spies out, undermine his father. Saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you will say, Absalom is king in Hebron. Not David. Absalom. As soon as you hear that trumpet... The plot is thickening. Verse 14, David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise now, let us flee, for otherwise none of us will escape from Absalom, my son. Go in haste, or he will overtake us quickly and bring down calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. My own son, Verse 23, while all the country was weeping with loud voices, all the people passed over. The king also passed over the brook Kidron. And all the people passed toward the way of the wilderness. David is fleeing Jerusalem. His son in hot pursuit. David's son is turning on him. The son saying, "I the only way I can take over this kingdom is have the people turn against my dad and me to strike my father dead. Thanks, son. Verse 30. And David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives. And he wept while he went. And his head was covered. And he walked barefoot. Then all the people who were with him each covered his head and went up weeping. The people around David saw what his son was doing to him. David saw what was happening. He ascends to the mountain and he's doing it with bare feet, mourning. His head is bent over, beaten down. His shoulders are slunched over. He and his, his friends heading up to the mountain. And then chapter 16, verse 5. When King David came to Barum, behold, there came out of their a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shemai, and the son of Gera. And he came out cursing continually at David. He threw stones at David and all the servants of the king of David and all the people and all the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. Thus Shemai said, when he cursed, get out, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. His son is after him. He lost his kingdom. His friends have turned against him. They're cursing him and throwing stones at him. And he's marching up the hill 
defeated. Verse 9, chapter 16. Then Abshai, son of Zeruah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over now and cut off his head. One friend stood up for him. But the king said, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zeruah? If he curses and the Lord has told him to curse David, then who will say, why have you done so? And then David said to Abshai and all his servants, Behold, my son who came out from from me seeks my life. How much more this Benjamite? Let him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him. Perhaps the Lord will look at my affliction and return good to me instead of cursing this day. So David and his men went on the way of Shemai, went along the hillside parallel to him and went and cursed and cast stones and threw dust at them. It's in that context. I want you to read 15 through 17 during the week and get the whole picture. But that's the context of Psalm chapter 3. Psalm 3. And I'm going to read the the header, the the title of Psalm 3. I don't know if it's in your Bibles or not. This is the morning prayer of trust in God. And as I was looking at that during the week, it's, it's the morning prayer of trust in God, not the morning prayer for trust in God. David had trust in God when he wrote this. He wasn't looking for trust in God. He wasn't looking for reassurance that maybe I doubt myself that I trust God. He was looking at it now that this is a morning prayer of my trust in my God. In the midst of 2 Samuel. In the midst of his son and his kingdom falling to pieces. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son, written at the moment. He went up to the hill. Not 10 years beyond looking back and saying, Lord, we dodged that bullet. We got out of that one okay. He wrote these words in the midst of his, this implosion in his life. And listen to what he has to say about it. Oh, Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, you are a shield about me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying out to the Lord with my voice and he answered me from his holy mountain. The mountain that he climbed up with his head cast down, with his tears, with his shoulders slunken, the Lord answered his prayer on that trek. And he's writing about it. Not running. I would be running from my son and the kingdom turning from me to save my life. But he sought the Lord on the hill and wrote the psalm for us. And he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. 
For you have smitten all of my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Could you write that in the midst of your turmoil? Could you pray that in the midst of your turmoil? It takes understanding of who's in control to be able to, to, even if you're going through the trouble, to, to read this and set this as your prayer while you're in the midst of your problem. It takes, it, it, it takes the Lord in your heart. Truth be told, if, you know, I'm, I'm not a king. I don't have a kingdom. But I have a son. And if, I have three. If, if one of them turned on me, I'd be crushed. I, if I was the, the king of Yucca Valley and my son turned against me and he was going to kill me and, and all the citizens of Yucca were after me, I wouldn't go up to the top of Pioneer Mountain and pray, Lord, thank you. I'd, I'd be afraid. But understanding who Christ is, understanding who God is and that he is in control, I think I can ascend that mountain. And I think I can turn to the Lord and say, Lord, you pulled me out of a lot of pickles. I trust, even though the town is after me, my son is after me, I trust, Lord Jesus, that you're in control of this situation. And I live that. I believe that. I trust in that. I trust that Jesus Christ is the same to me today as he was yesterday. And he will be tomorrow for me. You can do the same. Whatever situation you find yourself in, trust in him. Trust that he's not a God that's out of control. A God that doesn't see you. He knows the gray hairs on our head. He knows the sparrow that fell from a tree. He surely knows about a believer's problems. Trust in Him. Lay your problems at His feet. And I assure you, you can say the same things that David has said. Amen and amen. You can. You can't do it on your own might. You can't do it on your own power. And you can't come up with a scheme. I'm always talking about holy schemes because they're all over the place. There's no schemes. There is you taking your heart and your soul and your life and you lay it down and say, Jesus Christ, I believe. I know that you see my problem. And there's no problem too small. A sparrow falling from a tree, knowing that I've got a gray hair. He knows that. He wants to know even those small little things. The big giant things. You know, Father's Day. I don't have my dad. That's a big thing for me. You know, it's still fresh. It's still just a a year and a half out. I live here. I live here knowing that I can't reach out and touch my father. But I'll see him someday. I have great faith in that. So for you that have had loss in your life, plow in here. Rest here. Live here. Have faith that he is in control. Oh, Lord, verse one. Oh, Lord. Now, there, there's like three groups of passages here. This, this first one's verse one and two. It's David's complaint. David, this David is complaining to the Lord. He's not hiding it. He's not saying, I'm Saint David and I don't complain. He says, I'm going to put it in, in writing. So 4000 years hence, everybody can see this. Oh, Lord. My adversaries have increased. I used to have a couple enemies when I was on the board. You know, when, when I was just a council middle in Jerusalem, there was a few folks that didn't like me. But now I'm a king. 
And my adversaries have increased. There are more people not liking me now. But God knows that. God is with David. David, a man after God's own heart, he says, Lord, my adversaries, they're increasing. What are you doing, God? Why are you letting this happen is what that says. I used to have this all under control. I had just a few enemies. But they have increased. Many are rising up against me, Lord. Are you still in control, Lord? Do you see what's happening to the man after your own heart, Lord? <coughs> There's many that are rising up against me. And many are saying, of my soul. They're getting down deep now. They're, they're not just saying he's a bad king, he's a bad governor, he's a bad ruler. Many are saying, oh, my soul. There is no deliverance for him from God. My friends are saying that God's not going to save you. God can't pull you out of this mess. David's saying, Lord, do you see now they're not just blaspheming me, the king? But they're saying, you can't do anything. I've seen you do things. This is after Bathsheba. This is after the mess he made of his life. God didn't turn on David. God said, he's a man after my own heart. And David says, now they're, they're saying that you can't do anything. Do something is what he's saying. There's no deliverance for him in God. There is only deliverance in God. There is no deliverance anywhere else but in God. And you don't want to read into the text, but I say today, there is no deliverance outside of God. And we're going to see that theme through the summer in the Psalms. He closes this one says that, you know, salvation belongs to the Lord. He said it back then. It still holds true today. There is only deliverance in God. There is no other way but by God. There's no other way to handle your problems in life outside of God. There's no way to, to stand up and, and be counted outside of God. You know, you can have your own schemes and your own ways and your own power and, you, you know, you think you're all it. You can't do anything outside of God. I remember when I'd get invited to do uh, baccalaureates for, for a couple high schools in the Inland Empire. <laughs> I used to always open up and I'd tell the kids, you guys are worthless. That's a great baccalaureate way to start and I say, you are nothing. And the parents are looking at me like, who hired this knucklehead, right? And then I got the opening I was waiting for. You are worthless outside of God. You cannot succeed in life outside of God. You might make it big. You might be the, the next founder of a, a Microsoft, a Google. You might, you know, stumble your way in there and have all the money in the world. But when you get to the end of your life, when you get down to looking like me with the gray, and you have... Just a few breaths left, but you got a gajillion dollars in the bank. You got 40 cars and airplanes everywhere. You don't know where to put them. That's not going to do a thing for you. Nothing. There is no deliverance outside of God. Graduates, people, get right with God. Walk with Him. If the Lord blesses you with a long life of a hundred years, don't waste it. Don't look back when you're 99 and a half and say, wow, that went fast, because we know it does. I wish I'd have dialed in sooner. 
two things from that. You're never too late to dial in. And you will not have a wasted life because deliverance is from God. Live your life now. If, you, if some of you have just come to faith in the past few years and you look back with regret and say, man, I wasted a lot of this time back here. There is no deliverance for that outside of God. I, I look back on my life and I have windows and pockets of, boy, I, I, I blew it there. I have regrets on some of this stuff back here and I can spend the next, this amount of time that I have left worrying about that problem back there. That problem's not going to change. I can only be delivered from that, from God. The effects of sin still linger. The effects of decisions still linger. But I am delivered from that mess in my life to this point in my life where God is my deliverer. And that's, I want you to get there too. I want, I, my joy will be filled and complete knowing that you don't live back over here anymore, that you're, you're from this day forward living for him, not dwelling on whatever it was over there. And then we after he complains about, grumbles a little bit to the Lord in verses 1 and 2, he gets to, to 3, and he's grumbling, he's got his grumbling out, and now this is his comfort. This, this is, you go through the seasons, you go through the why, why, what did I do, why do I deserve this, and David did too. And he gets now to the, his comfort. This is, this is a good place to land too. If you need comfort. Absalom has chased him. The kingdom's going to pieces. Keep that in mind. But you, oh Lord, you are a shield about me. David looks to the Lord and says, all this is coming at me, but I've got a shield. And that shield is you, Lord. That All this stuff is coming is being deflected. It's like, like when you see those real neat pictures of the jets breaking the, the sound barrier and you see all that white stuff going around them. I think of that when I see this. All that stuff coming at me. And it's going to hit. But it's not going to hit me. It's going to hit that shield. That shield will deliver me. Not me deliver me. If I didn't have that shield, it would hit me. Like bugs on the... The motorcycle thing. It would just spatter. But I've got this shield. And this shield is God. This shield is, is the blood of Jesus Christ. Shed for me. And for you. But you, O oh Lord, you are a shield about me. And I just get the picture of him just engulfing me. When all these things are coming at me. You know, whatever it is. The emotion of sadness. The, the, the distraught feelings when you lose a loved one. And the... You know, losing your job, you know. I, I, and I, I could reflect back on my life when I was walking with Christ. And I was 2,000 miles away from home here in California. And I can picture it as if it was today. I was, I was having trouble at work. Boss didn't like me so, so very much. And I went on a road trip. And I knew I wasn't going to have a job when I got back. Well, he didn't even wait for me to get back. When I called to check in in uh, West Virginia, I was driving. Real fancy little car, driving along, having a great old time, checking in, you're fired. I've never been fired. I was in this at that moment. That shield was about me. I was panicked. I lost my job, but he will protect me. I'm in West Virginia. My dad's out here in California. Dad, help. 
And I start bawling in a payphone on the side of a road in West Virginia. My dad says, son, <laughs> hang in there. And I think, dad, you're right. And I'm in West Virginia. My competitor is in northern Kentucky. It's noon. And if I drive this fancy car fast enough, I can get to my competitor and see what they're hiring. So I get back in the car. Shirts askew, ties off, eyes are blistered red from crying. And I make it to my competitor at five minutes to five, true story, and I have a job that night. He is my shield about me. If I would have stayed in that phone booth and said, Whoa, was you, Lord, thanks for this gig. He is my shield. On a silly thing like a job. For a dad with three kids, it's a big deal. If I said, oh boy, i got to figure this one out on my own, I'd still be in the payphone in West Virginia. <laughs> but Lord, you are that shield about me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. You, Lord, are my glory. You, Lord, are the one that lifts my head. Remember 2 Samuel when he went to the mountains? Head down, shoulders. He said, Lord, you're the one that lifts my head. Yes, even when you're losing your job in a phone booth in West Virginia, he lifts your head. But Lord, you are my glory. Not I'm my glory for getting that neat job. The Lord was my glory for getting that neat job, for pulling me out of a fire before the kindling even got going. And I'm using my story because I know you have stories. You can look back on your life and say, I remember that. I may be, I might be going up the mountain right now. My head's down and my eyes are closed. And I'm scared to death, but I remember my phone booth experience. I remember that. Lord, you are my glory. And you are the one that lifts my head. Lift your head, put your shoulders back and press on. Not on your own might. He is your glory. He is lifting your head up. Let him lift it up. Throw your shoulders back and press on with him. Lord, I, I, I need some comfort here. Verse 4, I was crying. I was crying to the Lord with my voice. No doubt. Second Samuel 15, 16, 17. Remember it. I was crying, Lord. My eyes were blistered red, Lord. I looked like I had a rough one. But I didn't turn from you. You delivered me. You are my glory. I was crying out to the Lord with my voice. And what did he do? He didn't turn his back on David. David puts it right down here in writing while his son's chasing him. And he <coughs> answered me from his holy mountain. The mountain from 2 Samuel that I, I dragged myself up. He answered me there. The Lord didn't say, David... Your son's got a point there. You, you're not a very good king. David, you, you remember that judgment you made? Well, that wasn't a very good judgment. Maybe you should be banished from this kingdom, David. But he answered me from his holy mountain. And then there's a parenthetically, Selah. David's taking a pause. He said, I've been going through this. My son's chasing me. The kingdom's going to pieces. I'm going through all this. People are spitting at me. They're throwing stones at me. They're throwing rocks at me. They're throwing dust at me. My own counselor turned his back on me. I was crying to the Lord with my voice.
and he answered me from his holy mountain, and I'm going to rest there. He answered me from his holy mountain, and I laid down and slept. Don't miss that. Second Samuel, remember the story. People chased him. Could you lay down and rest? Could you get to the top of that holy mountain? I think I'll sleep now. I don't think. Unless you had these down in your soul that he is the one that's delivering you. He is the one shielding you. David's being chased by this mob. He lays down and rested. What are you being chased by? What is nipping at your heels that keeps you at night from being able to close your eyes and go to sleep? Is it something like this? Something worse that only you know about? Something lesser that you think, that's silly, but it's keeping me up at night? David's saying, I was going through this. I put it on paper for everybody to see. This is what happened. I can lay my head down and rest in the Lord. Not rest in my problems. Not lay awake at night, worrying about everything that's going on in my life. Guilty. But he answered me from his holy mountain. I laid down and slept. I didn't fret. Why? David says, I awoke. For it's the Lord that sustains me. Not my worrying. Not the, not the, the sleeping pills that the doctor gave me so I can lay down and get a couple hours sleep. That doesn't sustain me. It's the Lord that sustains me. Now that's not to say we bury our head in the sand and say, okay, I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to put my head in the sand and not worry about anything around me. Because that doesn't happen. That's not a real life thing. Things come nipping at our heels. Problems mount. People don't like us. that sustains me. And this is the last part. We'll wrap it up here. This is David's deliverance. Right? So he, he, he complains. He finds his comfort. And now, his deliverance. I will not be afraid of 10,000 people. I don't know 10,000 people, but I won't be afraid of that one that's bugging me. I won't be afraid of that neighbor that doesn't like me. I won't be afraid of my, my sister, my brother, my uncle that doesn't like me. I can't control that. But I can control who sustains me. I can live in Him. I can rest in Him. I can know that I can go to the holy mountain and talk to Him and bear my heart and bear my soul and say, Lord, I'm complaining. Lord, I'm seeking comfort. Lord, I'm with you. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. And when I was reading that this week, I thought about the shield. And I've never seen a shield that's all the way around. So David had to do something here too. There's a shield, right? But these people have been camped around him. David can't just sit there and say, okay, I got this shield down and not worry about the folks coming up behind him. He's got to understand that God is in control of those guys back there too. The trouble is all around. But our Lord is all around it. And our Lord, no matter which angle it's coming at us from, He knows the sparrow. He knows the gray hair. He knows the adversary. Rest. Selah. Arise, O Lord, and save me, O my God. For you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. And we've seen this, we'll see it coming forward in, all the, in the Psalms, but in the last two, three years that we've been looking at the Psalms, we saw it all the time. God, 
comes to the rescue of David, even when David didn't deserve rescuing, maybe. Hmm? When he was up on that porch looking down at that pretty little girl and he got all tangled up with, that would have been a good time for the Lord to say, yeah, David, that's crush. He gets a shield. He gets called a man after my own heart. Even in the midst of that. So that means wherever I was, wherever you may have been, don't count yourself out. He will sustain you. He loves you. He, he will smitten your enemies. He will crush them on the cheek. He will break their teeth. Figurative language. He's not going to come down and smack your neighbor on the cheek and break your neighbor's teeth. Right? But this, this is the picture that David's painting. No matter what happens, he will sustain you. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Wrap it up on this. Verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. David knew the only way out of this. His salvation is from the Lord. You, my dear friends, understand salvation is only through the Lord. This is not just David's Old Testament concept. This is a New Testament reality. We see the world around us saying that there's another way, there's a better way, there's the schemes I was talking about a couple weeks ago, there's plans, we can get around this. There is no other scheme of man. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That means that it, it belongs to Him. He possesses the ability to dole out that salvation and He only does it through the way that He prescribed through His Son on the cross. There is no other way other than that. His salvation belongs to him. And if he has given you salvation, you've got it. You're not going to lose it. You're not going to tarnish it. You're not going to mess it up. And he's not going to say, I changed my mind. It belongs to the Lord. And if he's given it to you, you have got it. Dear friends, don't be afraid of that. You have got it if you were given it. When you became a Christian, you were adopted into the family. And how many times I've talked about justification and sanctification. And you've got it. You're not going to get more of it. There's not more salvation. The longer you live, the better you do. You're saved. Or you're not. That's your two choices. And it belongs to the Lord. And if He's given it to you, He ain't taking it back. Your blessing, Lord. 2 Samuel 15 through 17. Your blessing, be upon your people. When you read 2 Samuel this week, I really want you to. I want you to see that... I, I won't give it away. It's not going to be a... Uh, when you watch a TV show and your friends say something on Facebook and you didn't get to see the episode or the races when I go home in the truck, I can't wait to get home and see the races that have been taping. And my friends inevitably will say, Hey, Jimmy Johnson won the race. Ah, oh, great. I want you to see what happened to Absalom. In 2 Samuel. I want you to see the love of a father. I want you to see the love of a father against a son. That didn't particularly respect his dad. And what David did. And what David said. Everybody's chasing him. His son's plotting against him. Read it this week. Then you will see this psalm explode in life. And live this psalm in your life. Trust in him. He is your salvation. He is your sustainer. He is your shield about you. And David lived it. 
and wrote it for us. This week, settle it in your heart that God loves you no matter where you are today. Let's pray. Lord, we do know that your salvation is sure. We do trust in your love for us. We do know that you sustain us, Lord. And even when we're in a time of trouble and we don't know where to turn, Lord, that we we can turn to you. And Lord, my prayer for, for us today is that if we have a small problem that's nagging at us, that we turn that over to you, Lord. If we have a big problem that we just don't know how to put it into words, Lord, we turn that over to you and that we rest like David did in you, Lord. Give us that heart this week as we leave this building. We love you and it's in your precious name I pray. Amen. Let's.